I'm so glad Kevin Smith is doing well. Uh, yeah? Why is that? I would hate for him to have had a health scare that turned into a health crisis, and then we would not get to see him at cons for the next 40 years. You would hate that? You think he'll live 40 years? I hope he does. I I think he will. <laughs> so I'll have 40 more years of just being embarrassed for my friends who go nuts for Kevin Smith right. and his work. <laughs> Here comes the tea. It's like that scene in The Shining. Ding. Uh, Nest tea uh, uh, coming out of the elevator. I don't understand. Uh, Here's my theory that I've just worked out recently. I think that Kevin Smith is the first filmmaker to exploit the internet to continue his fame. We've had filmmakers, probably there's some guy who's, you know, Jevin Briff or something like that, who made some films didn't interface with an audience, and so he's not as well-remembered. Kevin Smith arguably hasn't made a good movie in 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's arguable whether the movies that he made when he was making quote-unquote good movies were even good at all. But we all remember them. You've seen Rats a million times, yes. and so you have affection for it, even though it is laughably bad and offensive and not funny. Yeah, It's laughably not funny uh, at me. Uh, Stanley, best part. Um, and yet he's just... He's now a figure like Will Wheaton, for instance, who, you know, his reviewing games <laughs> channel aside on YouTube yeah. and also uh, writing things that inspire uh, people with social anxiety and, mm-hmm. and nerds and stuff like that. Great. It's good that you're an ambassador for the brand, but you also haven't really done anything since Stand By Me right. or uh, or uh, Star Trek. Yeah. He's on Big Bang. I can't even hear you right now. Yeah, I know. So, but Kevin Smith is just at every one of these cons and... I have friends who I really respect who I think of as heroes in terms of um, being an example to like other fans because let's face it, toxic fan culture Mm -hmm. isn't just a neighborhood. Like it's kind of part of the thing. We all struggle with that, Mm -hmm. especially on the show. Uh, And yet they're like, oh man, can't, I'm going to the road shows. Can't wait. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm lining up to see Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, I, I'm amazed that they have a second Jay and Silent Bob movie and, and I want to know who is that third? Is it the third? Well, there's dogmas. First of all, they're in all the movies. Yeah. Dogma is the first one that, well, it doesn't focus mainly on them, but they're a bigger part of it, aren't they? Yeah. I guess I just think of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as being the first Jay and Silent Bob focused movie. Mm Um, but I don't know why there's another one that just came out. And because I, he won't go away. And he's I think he's done with his we're not I don't want to talk about his career. Okay. I don't want to talk about his career. That's not what we're here for. We're talking about the guests at cons that keep showing up and you're like, why? Mm-hmm. You're not Walter Koenig. Mm-hmm. We know why Michelle Nichols keeps showing up. Somebody yeah. keeps wheeling her there. But like Walter Koenig and William Shatner, I guess, are like the last living members. They are fan royalty. There will always be at these things, mm-hmm. even though Walter will just be wearing a Shameless hat? Was know. he on Shameless or I did he no direct an episode or something? Maybe did he write one? I gotta look into that. But anyway, uh, he'll be there eating some uh, Chinese takeout and nobody's talking to him. And that's fine. Cons will keep paying for him to come. Yes. And it's great that he's supported that way. But why is Tommy the Green Ranger at all these things? Well, he has become a con icon. An icon. Yeah. Con. Yeah. Yeah, you had it right. Uh, mm-hmm. But why? Um, because he keeps showing up and he keeps, <laughs> you know, talking and... I don't know. And... There's, I used to write for a site that 
had, you know, the people who were about as old as me, maybe a little younger, and they were all cuckoo for Power Ranger Cocoa Puffs. Yeah, um, Power and Rangers just missed me. Um, well, I, I, it wasn't yeah. my thing. Okay. I, one of my sisters. You're more of a VR Warriors person. No, not really. No. But my, I had a sister who was really into Power Rangers, and um, you know, continued to watch it probably longer. Well, than there's she your should answer. Have, but there's but there are answer. other people like that. Yeah. But if you had met Tommy the Green Ranger, wouldn't you then be like, no more of that? <laughs> I just well, we we accidentally caught the end of his act. I know. <laughs> Guys, I want to share with you some of my poetry, and I'm like, I couldn't write this. You couldn't write this. You couldn't make it up. Oh, and you want to show us the short film that you commissioned to go yeah. with your poet? Yeah. You can't. If you wrote this, somebody would tell you, no. Nah, uh, this is unrealistic. That's something else. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm Will Ferrell. Uh, thank you for coming to this Gary Sanchez production meeting, but I'm going to need something else because yeah. nobody's going to buy this. Right. Kevin Smith couldn't have put that in one of his movies. No. But anyway, um, we had a good time at GalaxyCon this weekend. Yes. <laughs> in the Twin Cities. Uh, GalaxyCon is a former regional company. It was founded by two Floridians uh, who have started a string of cons in um, the Southeast, Raleigh, Richmond, Louisville. And as we've talked about before on this show, mm-hmm. our home locale, the Twin Cities, yes. is really like... In the world of running corporate cons, you have to think like, "Ooh, that's that jewel. How do we how do we get that? That's the idol." And you've got the bag of sand, and you're like, kind of rubbing your face. You're like, "How, can, how much sand goes uh, in there? Right. How do we get this idol off of here?" Because many cons have come here, smashed themselves on the rocks mm-hmm. of our sort of fickle fan base, and then you know went out. Yes. That's what I'm assuming it is. Or maybe we're just really expensive to produce here. I don't know. But we, a couple different cons have come here. Yeah. And you'll get people, you get the how do you do dats that come from North Dakota. And I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying a guy and his three kids and drags the wife along to see Spider-Man. Uh-huh. That's probably, that's cons bread and butter. Yeah. It isn't the people who are dyed in the wool nerds who organize their own cons. I mean, they're either going to go or they're not. Mm-hmm. And we've got that, I think. We've got that. From the Dakotas, we've got that from the Midwest. But why is like Wizard World Madison still going? And Wizard did the two-year two-step here yep. and then out because they just couldn't hack it. I, my only thing is like people in Madison must have shown up and continued to show up. And Madison they, and Michigan and uh, yeah, you know, even from in, yeah, Illinois and yeah, sure. Um, I think. The first year of Wizard here went really well, and I think the second Ooh, year... really? I, I do, and I think the second year, it dipped down quite a bit, and uh, I think they well, decided a, it wasn't Well, they're a garbage company. I know. Unless they want to sponsor us. Yeah, right. Um, but anyway, and plus it's timing, too. I mean, there's a lot of events in yes. any, any city, but uh, there's like a dyed-in-the-wool, like set events in the Twin Cities, yes. and the last couple companies that have come here have just flown right in the face of those events and somebody must go like when you must have like an advanced person right you must have somebody who tells you here's the deal Mm -hmm. here's the demographics also here's the no-go weekends and all of these shows went for these weekends that it's just there's no way well and that's a plus for galaxy con too and galaxy con i think lucked out because this is a good spot i think also you know, if you can't do it a week before, it's Halloween. Nobody's going to go to a con on Halloween. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was probably carefully selected. It's just weird because 
they're they have nothing to do with us. And there's, there's nothing Southern fried about their presentation that no. it wouldn't work in Minnesota. But but anyway, um, yeah, I uh, still scratching my head about uh, USQ people and about Tommy the Green Ranger. But otherwise, we had a uh, pretty good time. Yes, we did at the show, and mm-hmm. I think it was pretty well run. Um, seemed pretty well attended. Yes. Um, we were there at the the biggest day. Yes. On a Saturday, mm-hmm. so we weren't there uh, Sunday or uh, fr- or Friday. Um, I heard that Friday was not super well attended, but well, Fridays are always Fridays or Thursdays yep. are always tricky because yeah. But if you're already doing a Thursday, mm-hmm. you've got a pretty good successful show, right? Yeah, you're, you're doing right. a Thursday. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. Um, there was a couple issues. I thought that some of the programming uh, could have been organized and sort of executed a little better. Yes. Um, but we got to see some great talent. Uh, I'd never seen Jonathan Frakes on stage before, and he was yeah. he was really great. Um, Catherine Tate is another one of these people who had to be sort of convinced to do it. And it's yeah. like, how were you not doing this? Like, you are a natural. You're perfect. Yeah. But she didn't think it was a thing. She's like, people don't want to see people who are on Doctor Who years ago. Right, but you've been and entertaining like, people. Yeah, they do. Extemporaneously yeah. your entire career. Right. So now you'll just get also paid to do that. Right, exactly. I mean, and, and plus just knowing John Barrowman. Like, I know mm-hmm. that's probably how she got in in the first place. But mm-hmm. just knowing, oh, well, I kind of do what he does. I could do that. Right. No shade on him. But right. I should be doing that. There's going to be a million little girls with bugs on their backs that want to talk to me. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that went great. And um, heard Kevin Conroy talk. Yes. Uh, and that was pretty great. That's a guy who, and he, I think, that <laughs> I have nothing but love for the man, but I, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. That yeah. For a guy who is uh, went to Juilliard, mm-hmm. um, was on or off Broadway, Yep. Uh, his very first animation, the way he tells it, his very first animation audition, he lands Batman, which yes. and they don't know this at the time, but you've got the back. It's famous character. You've got the backing of Warner Brothers. It's, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Goes yeah. on then to be an almost 30-year career for him. Yes. Uh, voicing inimitably and very successfully one of the most beloved pop culture figures uh, in Western yeah. culture yeah. of all time. And just nailing it every single time he's pretty humble yes for that but not 100 percent humble (laughs) (laughs) i think he has the right level of uh ego inflation for having accomplished all that he has yes but he's also somebody who is immediately ready to engage with the fans and he's not i just i come almost wanted to go to that john cusack thing just to see like how he dealt with people yeah but he was totally willing to do whatever um, kind of a long-winded storyteller, which I think yeah. is another one of those things where a moderator could have reined that in a little bit. I mean, we're there for him, but we want to answer more than four questions. Yes, but, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and just hearing um his talking about the emotional underpinnings of some of his performances, mm-hmm. and I didn't. Um, I don't know. I think I'm past the point where I even want to try to meet my heroes anymore. Sure. Um. It's John Wesley Shipp's fault. No, I'm just kidding. That was a, amazing. I really enjoyed meeting him. Yeah, he was nice. Uh, so maybe I should just go with that. As long as it's DC, we're okay. <laughs> but I haven't... Well, I was thinking if I did meet Kevin Conroy, I would tell him um, that Mask of the Phantasm was one of my favorite uh, Batman joints. Yes. And his work in it was one of my favorite joints. And in the panel, he talked about how Mask of the Phantasm yes. was one of his favorite things. And he yes. talked about a specific scene 
and the motivation that he was sort of drawing on as an actor and the tragedy in his own life that underpinned it. And Mm -hmm. that was so close to what I, if I had the courage, I would have told him if I'd gone and talked to him, uh, which was one of my favorite line readings of his as Bruce Wayne is when he's taught, well, it's Bruce, it's Batman without his mask on. So you tell me who he is. Right, right, right. Uh, He's just got the suit on and he's talking to uh, Dana Delaney in the movie who is, spoilers, um, the phantasm, you know, this person who's killing Juggy Saul and killing all the gangsters in Gotham. And he asks her, but Andy, what will vengeance solve? Uh, uh Uh-huh. And her reply, of course, is, (laughs) who's talking to me? Like, what are you you talking about? Right, right, right. uh, Look at you, Batman. (laughs) Um, But it's just like this so weird, uncharacteristic, uh, almost like, well, I don't know what the word is. It's just like the weakest line I've ever heard come out of Batman's mouth. Oh, okay. And it's meant to be in the script. She sure. points that out in the text right after that. You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. of all people know the answer to that. But just knowing now that that the sort of heartbreaking story that he shared that reduced the next questioner to could not even talk. I know. She was crying so bad. I know. Uh, just knowing that's behind it, it's like, okay, I didn't need to talk to him. That was my answer right there. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> so my theory, my theory works. There you go. Don't meet your heroes. Take a picture of sexual chocolate from very far away. Oh my gosh. And then run scared from Sergeant Slaughter after that. <laughs> Never meet anyone. Who cares? Um, uh, one other star who we saw is um, uh, Christopher Eccleston. Yes. Um, who I almost cried when he took the stage because he was my first doctor. Because he was mean to you? No. Because <laughs> he was my first doctor. Yeah. And I thought he was actually very gracious. I think he... Yeah. I think he's professional. Yes. I think he was professionally gracious. Yes. Um, and I think he has come to... That was a dig. <laughs> All right. I was digging on him. Well, I, I think he's come to realize like how big of a deal Doctor Who was. I think and, he's realized that. Yeah. And and I think he... I don't think he wanted to be there, though. You don't think so? I think that he is he is a consummate professional. Except... Yes. In fact, I think that he got screwed pretty hard by Doctor Who. And I think anybody else could have t- ridden that to, you know, maybe there's... Nobody really competes with... There's no Orville to, the doc, to Doctor Who, no, is there? No, there's not. But anyway, if there was an Orville to Doctor Who, he could have probably ridden it all the way there and found success. But instead, he's just kept his mouth shut for the most part Mm -hmm. because he's a pro. But I think that machine runs on rage, though. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But it was I really enjoyed seeing him. I was glad he was there. So, yeah. And he talked about as little about Doctor Who as he possibly could. (laughs) But most of the questions were about Doctor Who. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, that's what we did. Yes, <laughs> and then hopefully we'll do it next year. Um, we didn't. I didn't even really try to uh, get involved with programming or anything. We had a couple. No. Uh, we have a couple friends around town who were yeah. um, part of uh, some of the presentations and stuff. And so I've been burned a lot I, I know by you these have. Johnny Come Latelys. But yeah. having seen the kind of show that they put on. <laughs> it's funny for me to say this, but I, I'm ready to work with them now. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll see maybe if we can uh, maybe do something or get involved. Uh, definitely do more reporting um, next year. Yes. Uh, we didn't really even try to do that. But, no. Uh, where would those reports come from? They would come from the Just Enough Trope podcast. Yes. I'm your host, Caliban, joined as always by my co-host. Hi, I'm Mikan Hana. Attempting to set a new record for lateness of introduction. <laughs> this is a real Veronica Mars level. I was just thinking. About that, you know, 
like how far back can we push the intro and still stick it in there? I don't know what the rules are. Like film right? rules, the, the, the guild rules are very specific on what you can do and what you can't. And we were just watching a film that we're going to talk about today mm. where they ran opening credits. And I was like, man, I can't remember the last time I saw opening credits. In, and this is a film yeah. from 2007. Yeah. Um, but TV, I don't know if they have rules on that. Because Veronica Mars would go all the way to, you, you're the killer? A long time ago. I know. Yeah, well, we got him. It's like. And then ending what? credits. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we, uh, I think we did it. We accomplished that. Yes. Um, we're talking about. Uh, a couple things today. Uh, we were talking about guests at cons, and that's going to lead into, uh, I think, rather well, into a review of Amazon's, uh, it's not Amazon, it's uh, Sequart's new documentary available yes. on Amazon, Chris Claremont's The X-Men. Yes. Another guy that does cons, mm-hmm. um, because what else is he going to do? <laughs> but I feel like a lot of people are running to talk to Jason David Frank and going right past the man who made pretty much all this possible. Yeah, I know. Um I, yeah, Chris Claremont is amazing, I think. Um, well, and, save it for the, uh, all right, I'll for save the it. review of the doc. Yes. We're we'll talking about that, uh, his exper- experiences working for 17 years on the Marvel X-Men franchise yes. comics. And then, well, no one can see the future. <laughs> except Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, we had planned to talk about his dark materials and uh, yes. the plan was, as non-HBO subscribers, to get it a la carte, and it's not available a la carte. Which is incredibly frustrating. This is some kind of exclusivity gambit, I guess? I guess. So, yeah, we're not able to actually do that, but we will review that in the future yes. uh, for sure. So we thought instead uh, we were just going to get lost on Amazon <laughs> and the various other streaming services and came about or came across... Two separate films mm-hmm. starring your boy, Nicholas Cage. Cage. Yeah. Or Nick for yeah. short. Yeah. Or Nicholas Coppola Cage for right. long on the dotted line. And talk about uh, two films of his where he can see the future. Yes. We we're envious of him. <laughs> Those are two films from the aughts. One's called Next from 2007. One's yes. called Knowing from uh-huh. 2009. Yep. Mr. Cage, when you signed the deal for these films... Did you know that you were in two different movies featuring an apocalyptic threat uh-huh. and a guy that can see the future Right. that both started with K? Yeah, right. Did you know about that? I know. <laughs> or did you care? How deep were you into whatever was going on with you at that point? Yeah. Did you know I that know. the lady in the opening of Next, yeah. I'll just give you a little teaser right now, Sure. Uh, who the, the necklace lady. Okay. That's his wife. That's Nick Cage's wife? Yeah, or she was. They were divorced in 2018. Oh. That is the mother of Kal-El, uh, his son. He has a son named Kal-El? Yeah, man. Like Superman? Yeah, man. Oh, my Superman. God. I didn't know that. Uh, they got divorced. He got married to another lady, I think, this year in March. They were married for four days. Oh, boy. Uh, I believe in Vegas. And uh, and he is apparently back with her now, so the uh, third wife. So Okay. Anyway, little little factoid. Wow. So we're talking about those Drama. two films. Okay. Other than everything else we've been talking about, how are you? I am good, Cal. Um. You know, I always feel a little overwhelmed whenever we go to a a con uh, because 
there's always so much to do and so many people and it's like uh, my back hurts where do you look really that's how i feel you're achy my tendons are overwhelmed okay or my ligaments yeah i mean it's a lot of walking and uh um i mean they're, they're just that's just how it is that's just con life i guess um but uh hashtag. yeah hashtag con life um but yeah, and we somehow managed to watch some Nick Cage movies in there too. So, um, we're animals. I, I know animals. <laughs> we're talking about the news. Well, speaking of con-related news mm-hmm. and con-related and fan-related um, hopes, wants, dreams, aspirations, yes. uh, it's possible that Andy Serkis may join the cast of the Batman. Oh, I heard about that. Along with yeah. Colin Farrell. Yes, I heard about both of those. These are two guys who could already presumably show up at it. This is something, this is my problem with the new celebrity con culture, mm-hmm. is that Col- Colin Farrell has played Bullseye <laughs> yes, in that's a failed true. Daredevil that is sort true. of uh, attempt. And I think that he could, they would put that on his th- thing, his list yes. of, uh, you know, if he was in a, a, a con program. Mm-hmm. But if he just showed up, if he hadn't, like if he just showed up, that'd be fine too. Like if yeah. Paul Dano, who is being signed on to play the Red- Riddler for the new Batman movie, mm-hmm. just wanted to come to a con, it'd be like, and we've got Paul Dano from There Will Be Blood and Swiss Army Man. And uh, Little and Miss like, Sunshine. Right. But it's, <laughs> yeah, but you didn't like play, you know, Blue Beetle or something like that. Right. Why right, are you right. here? Why are you here? Yeah. That's another John Cusack sort of Movie thing. star. Yeah. That's yeah. a John Cusack situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Colin Farrell playing Bullseye because I had actually forgotten about that, but that's totally true. Um, and I think, you know, somebody could even say his, him working with Yorgos Lanthimos is kind of nerdy in a way. Um, I think you could maybe push for that a little bit, but, um, yeah, um, he's being, (laughs) you don't agree. Okay. Um, he's being looked at as for playing the penguin, which I think is kind of interesting against yeah. type. Yeah, and Circus is being looked at for Alfred. Alfred and I Which is just like, what? Yeah. Um flip him? I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Because if you want to do so here's what I think. I dearly love Colin Farrell, even mm. though he has cheated on me again and again. Uh <laughs> He, but he will. He is so desperate and has been and continues to be so desperate. That's why he's so good in the the, the Lanthimos films. He's been so desperate to prove that he is a great actor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's true or not. I'm actually kind of leaning towards possibly not. But the Lanthimos style of the flat affect he does, just lets it lets his charm come through. He does great in those films. Yeah. And he'll see somebody will show him the amped up Cockney. Uh, version of Penguin from the Arkham games, and mm. we're gonna get like, oh well, Batman, I'm gonna oh oh go up the apples and pears. Oh, don't, I, I don't. hope not. He'll beat it to he'll throttle it to death. Yeah. And the funny thing is, if you just gave that to Andy Circus, Andy Circus has played that role a million times. True. And would he's a short guy who can do a great Cockney accent. Boom, there's your Arkham Penguin. Yeah. Now if Alfred is now Pennyworth, like hot Alfred, <laughs> which we already were on going down the road of with, yeah. uh, you know, the military sweater wearing um, Jeremy Irons yes. uh, Alfred in the um, Bat- Batfleck movies. Yes. Then, yeah, just make Colin Farrell. He goes, not old enough. Well, 
Robert Pattinson's really young. He is And really young. you just, you know, you just wrinkle him up more, a little bit. Just put little some more gray, gray in his, his hair. temples. Yeah. And he'll be like a sexy, hot Alfred. I, I think that's fine. Vicky Vale's like, ooh, what's, uh, give me Alfred's number. <laughs> I'll get the master. She's like, well, I'm here for you. Um, I agree with you. I kind of think maybe they should switch those two around. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Wright as uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yes. And Zoe Kravitz for Catwoman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's keep talking about big movie news. Yes. Uh, it looks like there is. <laughs> Wait, actually, should we talk about trailers? Let's talk about trailers. Oh, sure. Oh, that's big movie news. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple different trailers that came out uh, this week. Uh, I want to talk about The Invisible Man. The Invisible yes. Man with a plan. And that plan, be sexually assaulting Peggy from Mad Men. Oh, my God. Like, so we watched this because it just kind of popped up as being, like, new. And we weren't really sure what to expect. And when I just... Oh, I knew what to expect. Oh, you, okay. This is just Hollow Man. Yeah. Now, Hollow Man was a Paul Verhoeven film, right? So it's... If Kevin Bacon and his huge dick, like, get the chance to be invisible, what are they going to do? Yeah. They're going to perv out like crazy. It's yeah. all going to be like, ooh, look at, ooh, I'm going to watch. First, I'm going to watch him do it, and then I'm going to get in there and do it, too. Yeah, gross. <sighs> I don't know what I was channeling there. <laughs> But also, he's emotionally a hollow man. Right. Nice work, Paul. Uh, so, <laughs> could work. we do something that's not that? Answer, no. I know. Well, well here's the twist. Mm-hmm. It is a Sleeping with the Enemy-esque twist, which it, it's probably time to come back around to this. Uh, you know, a man preying on a woman emotionally, mm-hmm. and also he's invisible. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hate you, Jason Bloom. I hate you so much. I please, know. please stop. Please. Well, when I first, the title is just Invisible Man. And so I thought, you know, it is the Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. So I thought, um, isn't it Universal? Well, it's uh, Universal, I believe, has licensed it. Yeah. So I thought about. You know, it being like a universal monster movie, like The Mummy was supposed to be. Well, I guess The Mummy was, but it was supposed to lead to other things. This isn't quite that. But... Yeah, but but it is kind of that, but it's like creepy and weirder than like the original Invisible Man, which it's... I guess was also creepy and weird. We'll watch Hollow Man someday for the show. Okay. Yeah. Um, But it just, I mean, he is just terrorizing her. And like, I guess he leaves her a bunch of money and the, the key to her getting the money is like she has to be proven as being sane and he's like which doesn't really exist no i mean if it's a trust you can have all kinds of goofy rules for yeah, like, yeah, yeah. for a trust but that's not a real thing um we we have somebody decided that strung out elizabeth moss was best elizabeth moss mm-hmm. and i don't agree but that's what we get so her hair is going to be wet and she's yeah. going to be giving us a joker look and right. she's not crazy. Right. And it, it's one thing to have Julia Roberts being chased around, feeling like she's crazy, but we're rooting for her. Uh-huh. Uh, it's something else to have Elizabeth Moss just rolling around on the ground. And actually probably, at, yeah, she is, just because you're crazy doesn't mean that somebody's not stalking you, but also right. crazy. Right. It's just, everybody's a mess. It just looks gross it does look gross it looks really gross i don't know man i'm not excited about it and low low uh budget effects like yeah i don't really know i don't want like a 
John Carpenter uh, memoirs of an invisible man. <laughs> Let's not do that again. Right. But she's like walks out of the room and like a spoon falls off the counter. Oh no, an invisible man is in there. <laughs> so yeah, it's all these like we, effects and yeah. stuff like what, that. Just yeah. without any real background, not really having known or about or seen any of these Invisible Man movies I've mentioned. Yeah. How how do you nail an Invisible Man movie? Go. Um, because if you can crack this code, you could be rich. Because Hollywood has never cracked this code. Yeah. Except for like the Claude Rains one. Yeah, right. Um, I, I, I think you you make him misunderstood and not like a creep, you know. And like he hates. <laughs> what what does Chevy Chase spike your creep meter? Ooh, I don't know. Sometimes. What if Fletch was invisible? Yeah, that would be yeah. weird. Let's, let's move on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> another trailer that we watched was the trailer for. Something we've been looking forward to. Yes. It is a film called Color Out of Space, based on the Lovecraft short story, The Color Out of Space. Yes. No, no V. Maybe in Invisible Man can lend them their article for this. Why don't you guys trade? <laughs> this is interesting for a few reasons. It is starring Nicolas Cage. Yes. And is directed by Richard Stanley, the director of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, my God. God, I And the star of the documentary Lost Souls, right, which right, is right. about the making of the film that basically drove him nuts and ended his career. Mm-hmm. He's back, baby. Wow. He's still got the ponytail. <laughs> and the questionable beaded jewelry. Yeah. Um, I think this looks great. Um, I'm really excited about this. I was excited about this before because um, the guy who directed Mandy, what's his name? He's very Greek. Panos Cosmatos. Yes. He's a, is he a producer? He's producing. Yeah. Uh, On this. So, and him and Nick Cage, I feel like worked together really well for me. Mandy was such a treat. I I wasn't expecting it, you know. It was a treat. Yeah, it was. Um, (laughs) It just was. I mean, it was horrible and violent and, you know, all about revenge, but it was done so well. And, um, well, yeah, slow your roll. Okay. Because in terms of, first of all, um, over under on appearance of uh, Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> I think you got to do it they, early. If they, if I they, think you have to do it early. Yeah. A I, TV show's on. Honey, come on. We got to get the kids. We got to get them taken to school. Yeah. And the, at the breakfast table, the TV's on and the Cheddar Goblin commercial. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, that IP has got to continue. That's not going to die. No, that's pretty great. Uh, so as far as the cart being in front of the horse mm. and the horse and cart both being uh, horribly mutated by some color from outer space. Okay. Uh, they want to make a Lovecraft cinematic universe. Which I heard is like, about that. Well, okay, guys, hold on here. Let's one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Let's see how well this movie does first, which is also they're not expecting a lot from this, I don't think, because no. it's coming out in January, which is... You yeah, know, but where else can it even compete? Yeah, I guess. But I hope it's a sleeper hit, personally. Oh, it'll definitely be a Mandy-esque sleeper hit. Yeah. But not making any money means probably no more movies. Yeah. Uh, just in the, the current climate. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, what else is happening? Uh, you want to talk about big movie stories. Uh, the biggest one to come out recently was the revelation that Carrie Fisher was supposed to be the big payoff in this new trilogy of Star Wars films. Oh. She was to be The Last Jedi. Carrie Fisher was? Yes. I, I'm guessing that's not going to happen, though. 
No, of course it won't. Because in an interview with Yahoo, Todd Fisher, her brother, who had been privy to a lot of the um, ins and outs and the secrets of the film, mm. uh, said that she was like the last, quote unquote, the last Jedi. And the third film was to end with her getting a lightsaber and being a Jedi and being the sort of thing that, I don't know. I mean, they're not going to just oh, throw, I, they okay. wouldn't have thrown Rey away, but I mean, right, right, you know, right. teaming up with the people that we know now and seeing the legacy, the rise of Skywalker was to essentially be Leia. Didn't we get a sense that she was... Didn't we get a sense that they shouldn't have made any more movies after the third one? But then, okay, after the sixth one... Yes. And then you did it anyway. You tempted fate and one of your central players <laughs> died and was not able to yes. be in any more of them. And then you were totally screwed. And I have sympathy for you. But at the same time, look what happened. Now it throws into question for me. And I don't I, – I saw this thing with uh, with Todd Fisher. I didn't see if there was any follow-up with Ryan Johnson. But was the whole kill the past thing a response to – because, I mean, the script was written, right? Yes. I mean, we don't know how many reshoots there were, but was the whole, like, I ah, forget all that, partially a response to, we have to, because the whole plan is shot now? Um, Maybe. I, I thought, I thought in the original trilogy, there was a hint or something that was. she was a Jedi. And in the books, she's full Jedi. So why hold on to it and be, have it be a surprise? It's not really a surprise. I guess she didn't have a physical lightsaber in the films, but no, but like it makes the Mary Poppins thing. Oh, I it see. gives that a little more context. I, I guess I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and then they just, I'm assuming, rewrote or just re-edited like the end down to. Uh, it's just more about her connection to Luke and mm. having him come out and be, you know, take this last stand or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. It makes it amazingly more tragic because not only is it, I mean, do you think that the kind of guys who still get excited about Kevin Smith all these years later mm-hmm. would have accepted a female Leia Jedi more than a Ray Jedi? A Raya. Maybe. I mean, because Leia has been around for forever. Yeah. They love their moms. <laughs> right? Yeah. They just hate that new girl at work. Right. Because she won't date them. Okay. I don't know, man. I just for it, it would be like if you told me that no, you know what? We're going to talk about nine eleven later. So let's do nine eleven. If, if you told me that, oh boy, the okay, it's not going to work, and I shouldn't be laughing. Not funny. Oh, uh, now I'm going to talk about another disaster. But you're going to be thinking about nine eleven anyway. Mm. If you told me that uh, the ti- remains of the Titanic exploded, I'd be mm. like, huh? <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Star Wars is already like a crater for me. And then now you're telling me that the crater is filled with radioactive insects. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't even know. Well, how am I supposed to yeah, respond that? sounds to that? bad. Yeah. That right. sounds bad. Right. It sounds like a disaster. Right. It's a disaster inside of a disaster. Uh-huh. Of what it could have been. Yes. But then again, you know, we've weathered this before. Like, Return of the Jedi was supposed to be a lot better than it ended up being. Right. Um, and uh, Bob Iger, oh, I should mention, has also said that Star Wars films are going on hiatus. Right. After this. But are they, Bob? Isn't the next one scheduled for 2022? I think so. Yeah. Is that going to be the Obi-Wan movie that's in development? Right. Are there two or or more uh, Disney Plus shows planned for Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not really a hiatus, is it? Not really. Yeah. No. Um, Although if I was Ryan Johnson, I would be accepting other film offers right now. Right. I mean, he's already got Knives Out. (laughs) 
Yes. No, I mean, I mean he might have his knives out, but oh, he's got a oh. film called Knives yeah, Out. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's a film called Knives Out. Which sounds so great. He's like, oh, boy, I draw on the tradition of uh, the locked, you know, the, the murder room, uh, drawing room mystery. Oh, really? Yeah. Couldn't tell. I know. Um, Make me stop criticizing people. Yeah. You can't. No, I you, know. You suck at making me stop criticizing people. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of tangentially somewhat curious about that film, but I don't know that I'll actually go see it in theaters or anything like that. Oh, um, no, I'm not going to see it at all. I don't, um, I don't care. Okay. It's, no, it's, I can't wait for, uh, for uh, James Bond to finally get his chance to, to play a Southern gentleman detective. Yeah, yeah, Screw you, yeah. who cares? Uh, all right. Well, anyway, I mentioned Disney Plus before. Let's talk about that. There's good yes. news and bad news as far as the Disney Plus angle goes. What do you want first? Um, I'll take the good news to soften the blow of the bad news. Oh, really? You're a dessert first kind of person. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's why we don't get along. Uh-uh. The good news is that is that Jessica Gao has been hired to be the lead writer, showrunner of the She-Hulk series. Yes, and she is the writer who uh, wrote She the- wrote the Pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty that won an Emmy. Yes, and she was on a podcast with Dean And she's Harvard a too. you know staff writer on the show or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um yep. Um how do you how do you feel about this news? Well, thanks for queuing me up. Yeah. Good and bad. Actually, no, I feel all good about the news. The side thing that I have that's like a non cancerous polyp that we can just pull off of this. Yes. Is I don't really like pickle the pickle rick episode. Oh, okay. I enjoyed it. I just don't like it because for me, and I know, okay, it all, it's all, I'm going to take you to the Mordor, bring it right back to the Shire. Yep. Is that it, for me, it encompasses everything about the show that I hate. Okay. You know, Rick is a pickle. Yes. It's all about his force of will. Now, I know that you also have Susan Sarandon as a whitewashed Asian psychiatrist, but anyway, it's written by an Asian lady. Oh, I gave the game away already. Uh, And it's all about, the problem is, is that, his self-reliance and his lack of emotional like availability is the problem. And because this isn't the end of the show, he ignores the advice and keeps going down the same path. Mm-hmm. But the tiny dicked Szechuan sauce babies who look at this show as like the ultimate expression of like the power of male intellect. Yeah. Look at an episode like Pickle Rick and their little tiny Szechuan dicks like get hard. And the the self-own inherent in it is that guess what your favorite episode is written by an asian woman yes <laughs> right right so yeah i don't but who has written other stuff that i do like but uh-huh. yeah i don't like the episode but i like what hopefully it does to the fan community which is like gets them to chill out a little bit yeah but well, as soon as they hear that they probably go that's not that great <laughs> It's hit and, hit and miss. Hit and miss. Oh my gosh. I actually think it's hit and miss. Okay. Well, hopefully not being a misogynist. <laughs> well, I, yes. I don't think you are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I think it's good that they have a female writer for She-Hulk. I, I think that's, yeah. A, yeah, I that's think great. That's, I think that's important. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about that. Bad news. The okay. Moon Knight show has just gained a Jeremy Slater as its head writer. Okay. Who is he? What else has he done? Well, let me tell you what he's worked on. Okay. The Lazarus Effect. All right. You don't know that. It is a uh, movie. It's that movie when we're scrolling around on streaming services and you see Olivia Wilde with black eyes 
That's the Lazarus effect. It's a ripoff of oh, Flatliners. I, I think I've seen like a, a trailer to it's, that or something. Yeah, it's 31 on Metacritic, 15% awesome. on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And we'll just go through the rest. Fantastic Four. Which one? 2015. Oh, okay. For, fortastic. Right. Fan Fortastic. Okay. The Bad Exorcist TV show, the Death Note adaptation for Netflix, okay. and the Umbrella Academy adaptation for Netflix. Okay. So, I don't right like any of that stuff. off the Moon Knight show, Baby Dolls. That's too and bad. I was thinking about this. It's sort of like the everything is tinged with something now. Every uh, filet mignon is not cooked well. There's no good crust on it. Mm-hmm. Every milkshake is warm. Everything you get is bitter and sweet at the same time. And the sweetness of this is good. Okay. Now that nerd culture has just become the same as culture, nerd culture equals sign culture, You, there's no way you can watch it all. I used to feel bad that I couldn't keep up with the CW shows. And now it's right. like, who cares? There's a million of them. Who cares? Well, you're and right. so I'm glad that like Marvel properties, I would have liked to have seen a good Moon Knight show. But when you think about it, Characters got a spotty history of publication, not necessarily that great, has potential. I can skip this one. This isn't an Iron Fist situation where I have to grind through it because I feel like I'll be missing out. Right. There's so much now, there's no way you could possibly see it. And there will absolutely be bad ones. And you can just skip those because new ones are going to come and they're going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm a little disappointed. Umbrella Academy. I know. I'm a little disappointed. Never. And I know people like Umbrella Academy. Yeah, but did you read the comic? It has nothing to do with the comic. It's drastically Look at the different. Death Note. Look at the Death Note adaptation. I know. This guy is not an adapter. Right. So why he's the, he's the guy him? you go to where you go, we don't care if this is translated to the screen or not. I'm your man. I think the Umbrella Academy, despite us let's not, not really liking let's it. Let's not re-review the Umbrella Academy. No, but show. I think that other people like it. Yeah, they do, but I, I bet they'd really like the comic. Which yeah. is written by an emo band leader. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> of all things. Well, moving on from there, here's some really good news. And go back in my notes. You'll find it. As I predicted, Kristen Bell is returning as the narrator for HBO's Gossip Girl reboot. I heard about that, too. Did you? When you saw that, did you think, he's good? <laughs> he's good. I had forgotten you that you, no. you predicted right. it, actually. I apologize. Um, How do we get you to remember my predictions? Um, I, I guess I need to rain them down. Um, yeah. And be like, oh, look, this date, he predicted this, and yeah. it came true. Tattoo them so. in the back of your hands. Yeah. Well, speaking of Kristen Bell, uh, we found out that The Good Place will end with a 90-minute series finale. I also heard about that. Okay. Yes. I mean, um, I think that the show is, is uh, pretty strong, and I think that they're... Ending it probably on a high note because, I mean, they honestly, they think they could go a couple more seasons, but they're like, nope, we're just going to go here. Uh, you don't think so? Like, I guess maybe they've kind of pushed the concept philosophy, as far as it can go. Human philosophy has been with us since the dawn of humans, but yeah. how many like easily digestible philosophic concepts can you run through? I guess, yeah. I, it's amazing they saved the trolley problem for... I guess it was like the first season was. It was the end of the first season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, yeah. It's uh, it's a good time to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, speaking of things going or coming or maybe not any of those things or actually speaking about them, uh, <laughs> they're finally starting to produce the Halo Halo TV show based on oh. the Xbox video game. I was not aware that this was a thing. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh well, yeah. 
I could see this being popular because the game is super popular. So absolutely, yeah. Uh, it looks like Pablo Schreiber from American Gods will be the Master Chief. Pablo Schreiber is that guy who was in season second season of The Wire, right? I don't, and he's I don't like know. the eh, I gotta move some of these boxes around, right? Oh, okay. And then it's okay. And then he shows up in uh, American Gods, and you're like, "Wait, were you a stacked you, leprechaun before, or is this a new development?" Uh, oh, oh, he's the he's a leprechaun guy. Okay, yeah. All right, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, I guess I could kind of see him as a military guy. You won't see him at all. Oh, oh, we won't? No, Master Chief is a dread-esque character whose face we never see. Oh, okay. So he's always in the helmet. Yes. Interesting. So that's a thing. Um, You're always making a choice when you decide to do that. Yes. uh, Yeah, he is uh, is stacked, though. And then uh, Natasha uh, McKell, I never know how to say her name. Okay. Although she's herself irish right isn't she i i, don't, I have no idea natasha mcgill sure we'll be playing cortana okay do you see her face yeah okay <laughs> you see you well the funny thing is you see everything she's like a naked blue lady that's a computer lady oh okay so, so these are all really interesting weird choices all right um so she's kind of gonna be like um uh mystique but um she's not a mutant what? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah, she does look kind of like Mystique. Come at, at me, Halo fans. She looks like Mystique. Okay. Yeah, this will all be on Showtime. And okay. uh, comes uh, really at the tail end of Halo's interest, presence uh, yeah, right. in the zeitgeist. Right. Yeah. It's only been oh, almost 20 years since the first game came out. Yeah, so that's true. Right it? on time. But yeah. here we are. Uh-huh. Um, what else? Uh, California's on fire still. <laughs> Not awesome. Great. Yeah, uh, it looks like Dan Aykroyd says that Bill Murray will be coming back for the next Ghostbusters. Okay. But, I mean, he said that over and over again, so we'll see. Right. We'll see. Remains to be seen. Do you care? Um, I don't care. I don't know that I care about the, the third Ghostbuster movie, period. I'm honestly. a man who has said that when I die, and I probably should get a will made up, although <laughs> I don't have anything to give away. It's like, how small do you want your cardboard box to be? <laughs> All right. Uh, I have said that I want... Ghostbusters played at my. Oh, I think we, we negotiated me down to to uh, reception right oh, afterwards. Okay, I maybe. wanted it during the service. Yeah, but just the um, the wake or the, what have you. Well, the wake is before. Isn't yeah, it? you're right. No, the viewing. We don't know anything about death. <laughs> I just want feels good busting ghosts yes. blasted on a loop the weekend I die. Mm. Uh, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about this movie. Right? No. Come on. No, I, I could not care less. No, that, that's a, this has had its time. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that have had their time, Woody Allen has settled a $68 million suit against Amazon for okay. dropping him for being a scumbag. Okay. Remember that? No, I don't remember Woody Allen that. had a huge show uh, lined up. Or no, wait. It was like a four-picture deal oh, with geez. Amazon okay. uh, lined up to do. Um, nice for him. Makes a movie every year. Mm-hmm. And now he doesn't have to worry about distribution or whatever. You know, right. it's just on Amazon. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't care. Uh, that was all canceled when the Ronan Farrow like article came out, and as Me Too surged. Well, I and mean, so that was it for him. Okay. He turned around and said, "Well, I stood to make a lot of money, so you guys owe me money, sixty-eight million dollars, in fact." And Amazon has settled with him, but we don't know for how much. It was undisclosed. 
Um, I'm just kind of surprised that Amazon made a deal with them, period, because this is not a secret. No, and here's the deal. I am surprised, too. Amazon absolutely has the power to say, get lost. Yeah. But you're either paying now or taking the chance that you pay later. Mm-hmm. And you're Amazon. Right. You own literally everything. Right. So you just go, here's $30 million, get lost. Right. Here's $30 million that Ronan Farrow will probably not see any of. <laughs> right, right. Although maybe, I mean, who are you going to give it to? Yeah, uh, right, exactly. Um, awesome. Okay. Uh, Do we want to end this up with, with the final, the ultimate sex crim thing, if oh. we're Hollywood sex crim thing? Oh, boy. If we're going to go the whole way? What is the ultimate? Well, the ultimate one is that uh, a French actress recently uh, accused Roman Polanski of raping her in mm. 1975. Okay. Uh, unlike most of his victims, she was an adult at the time. And the 20-year statute of limitations uh, in Switzerland, this took place in Switzerland, has passed. So there could be no criminal charges. Okay. She has accused him, and he, of course, denies it. Of course he does. But and it's... said, we're considering taking legal action against this publication. Uh, are you going to do that? Really? I bet you're not going to really? do that. Really? I, I don't think that's a wise idea. Do it. You think? Sue me. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Um. Wow. Roman Polanski is another one that, like, we, we know. We know he's a scumbag. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and we've known for a long time. So this does not surprise me yeah. at all. This was all in uh, the magazine La Parisienne, and yeah, you can go check that out if you want, but uh, this is the thing. This is what always made me wonder. This is what I always questioned about this, Mm -hmm. and why I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a well-executed film, but a stupid premise, (laughs) because what happened happened, and let's do something about what happened and not basically create a world where... (laughs) <laughs> where Roman Polanski is off the hook for raping a 13-year-old girl. Right. Abusers have patterns. Nobody does one thing and that's it, right? Yeah, yeah you're right. Are there, I guess I don't keep a close track, but have other people accused him? I'm surprised if they haven't. Now somebody has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to see the people that like defend him and are getting into the sophistry of, you know, it was a long time. You know, even his victim has forgiven him. She says that he shouldn't be charged, you know? I like to see what they have to say now. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, stop! But we haven't done that in a while. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's there's a new. The Germans are good at a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can probably figure it out for yourself. One thing that they're good at is coming up with words that are very specific for very specific uh, yes. emotions. And we need a word that is them coming up with a word that is the middle ground that you inhabit when somebody that you know, like, or respect is accused of something bad and you're believing the victim, but at the same time trying to hold yourself at arm's length, but yet supporting the person that you like and respect. Yes. But accepting the charge that has been made. Um, I agree with you that we definitely need a word for that. Oberama Galben Schlagen Hockenbuden. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mikan Hana. And I'm Caliban. And we're the hosts of the Sailor Noob Podcast. I'm the expert. And I'm the noob. You're talking into the wrong end of the microphone. Aye, aye. Okay. Every week we watch a new episode of Sailor Moon and learn about monsters, fashion, food, 
culture, and of course, the sailor warrior of love and justice, Sailor Moon. All right, now, what is her rank? Is she an admiral or a rear admiral? Okay, shh, shh. the ad's almost over. We're a couple of magical people, and every week we moon prism power make up a new episode. Better midships, study as she goes. Please stop that. Sailor Noob is available every Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Shiver me timbers. Thought I'd end up with Sean, but it wasn't a match. Wrote some songs about Ricky. Do you know what's happening next? What's happening next? We're doing next. Uh, they don't both start with a K. No. Which you did not catch in the opening. Sorry. <laughs> but they both start with an N sound. An N sound, yes. <laughs> We're talking about the movie next. <laughs> I'm just remembering it. I know. I'm just remembering it. I know. Is this what people feel? Is this what they feel when they say, I love bad movies and they watch it and they're like, oh, that was great. Yeah. Is I this think it? Maybe. Yeah. Um, it's Could a pretty bad movie. Oh my gosh. Da-da, da-da. We're going to get, uh, you can't just da-da, da-da, and get uh, copyright struck, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, Let's test that. Oh boy. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh my gosh. The most famous song <laughs> ever, right? Yes. Um, yeah, next is a 2007 film directed by Lee Tamahori. Don't shrug. Nobody can hear that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he's a director. And uh, starring Nicolas Cage, Julianne Moore, Jessica Biel, and Peter Falk. And I some know. other people. Peter Falk. This has to be Peter Falk's last movie, right? Yeah, I would think. Or close to the end. He's, he, he's not moving around real super great. There's this one point where like one of his only scenes in the movie if not his only scene in the movie, he's walking away and it's just like, oh, Peter Fox. Second to last. He was actually in a film called American Cowslip. It doesn't matter. Uh, okay. It does, it does not matter. All right. Uh, which I don't know when it was filmed, probably around the same time. Uh, so it's, you know, just down to whichever gets released. But this got released right. in 2007. Uh, what else do you need to know? Uh, to what happens in next? <laughs> doesn't happen in next it's pretty good pretty um, good question and assertion so nicholas cage it takes largely takes place in in vegas and like well, i know the what you're West gonna say yeah, right i've seen every outcome to yeah. this recap and none of them are good all right for us um so he is a las vegas magician and at, um at he, cage's insistence he was a magician yes and um his thing since he was a child for whatever reason, and we don't know why, he can see up to two minutes into the future. And the future changes depending on how you react to it and stuff like that. So he That's can That's what see, the voiceover told me. Right? So he can see, like, oh, if I do this, this is going to happen. If I do X, Y is going to happen. And if I do next. Right. Um, Some of my tax debt gets paid off. Oh, my God. So... We see him at the beginning, and he's uh, he's at a casino, and they're like, "How does he know what's going to happen?" And <laughs> and they're they like it, it ends up he ends up thwarting like this guy who was gonna kill some people, and then like the people at the casino are after him, and Julianne Moore, who's an FBI agent, is after him, and she's mainly after him because she wants his help locating a radioactive bomb that is going to go off. Sometime soon, and they really don't know much else about it. Um, and he keeps seeing 
Jessica Beale at this one restaurant and he doesn't know when she's going to show up. That's like the, the one exception of like he can see further into the future, but he doesn't know when it's going to happen. Right. Um, yada, yada, yada. I think that's the <laughs> that's basic the setup, setup yeah. yeah, um, it, of the film. Yeah, it it's funny because, like I said before, it, he was a magician at the uh, urging of Cage. Okay. The script went through several um, different rewrites. Okay. Um, yeah, I could see that. A uh, a novelist named, uh, or excuse me, not a novelist, um, a screenwriter named Gary Goldman uh, wrote the script originally, um, and he's written on. You know, movies like Total Recall and Minority Report. And you know, so he's got chops as mm-hmm. far as um, he wrote like Big Trouble in Little China. OK. Not all him. Uh, so he's got chops for like this sort of genre stuff. Uh, but he, this is adapted from a short story called The Golden Man by Philip K. Dick, which really right. has nothing to do with this at all. The only okay. thing it has to do with it is he, he can see in the future. Mm-hmm. The Golden Man, the character is named Chris. Okay. And he, he's, it's kind of like an X-Men thing. Okay. Yeah, that story actually came out. Somebody uh, see what's going on with uh, Stan Lee. Stan Lee, you like uh, amazing science fiction? <laughs> came out in 1954, but it's about a person who's a mutant, basically. And the okay. government is after him because they're afraid of him. And he's right. got superpowers. Mm-hmm. But it's more of a, he's like animalistic mutants. Okay. Like the goldenness is also, he's, he's got like a mane or something like that. Okay, or his skin is like a, yeah. So anyway, um, and that's the only thing that's really connected. And then it got reworked again and again and again. And at some point, Nicholas Cage is like, oh, can I be a, let's make a magician. So he's like, sure. gonna do this and he's going to like pour some milk and do a thing and it's going to disappear. Anyway, uh, other than that, just a mess. Like it's yes. just the whole thing is a Oliver. mess. The director is not a good director, mm-hmm. but I don't think that he's, I think that he's just a, a workman, you know, a yeoman, yeah. basically. He directed um, Mulholland Falls, which is not a good movie. Uh, the Edge, which is all right. Along Came a Spider. He directed Die Another Day, the Bond film that basically ended the Bond franchise oh, wow. until uh, Daniel Craig came along. Uh, the Triple X sequel. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I guess I said it wasn't really his fault, but <laughs> it <laughs> it certainly didn't, didn't help. help it. Yeah. yeah. And from there, um, I mean, there's nothing, you know, when you when the studio trailers come up and you see Revolution Studios and Saturn Films, first you go, who? But also you go, eh, we're in a lot of trouble. Here. <laughs> I think I yeah, read a review that said Julianne Moore, the whole movie looks like she was tricked into doing this film. Um, like, I don't I would not disagree with that. Acting. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think she's kind of upset that she's there, honestly. Oh, certainly. And it, she uses it in her character. Right. She's a pro. She takes that. <laughs> also randomly stars Jim Beaver. I know. <laughs> As a I guy who him. also like... is in the movie. And yeah, like Peter Falk plays this sort of Uncle Irv or whatever, like this kind of like um, sympathetic character. Yeah. Then disappears he, <laughs> like you think does. that he's gonna be a part of it yes. and he's not no he's only in like one scene this movie costs 70 million and i want to know Whoa. where where as it's going on we're picking out all these things that to me say cheap movie like there's no this is the movie that had the opening credits like there are no real like exciting titles or opening sequence it no. just opens with screenplay by produced by and then there's all these things like a lot of it was shot in um in Big Bear and like a lot of the sort of beautiful areas around uh, LA. Mm. 
uh, which is like, that's free, right? A permit that gets you in there. Sure. It's got terrible CGI, even for 2007. Um, yes. There's no, there's no stars other than Cage, the, the big three. Yeah. Sorry, Peter Falk. And then the terrorists don't even have a running parallel plot line. Yeah. We don't know their names. No. They don't. The main guy doesn't get like his Jeremy Irons speech about like why he's doing. We don't we don't ever know why they're doing what they're doing. No, we don't. We just know they're the ones with the bomb. Yeah. And the only reason they're interested in Nick Cage's character is because the FBI and they, yeah. who are looking at them. Are they, also looking at him. And yeah, and either they figure out or for some somehow they know that he could be a problem. Yeah. Even though he can only see two, two minutes. minutes in the future. And unless you can defuse a bomb real fast, it that's not gonna help you no, it's not stop, gonna stop a bomb, them. a nuclear bomb at all. Yeah. So none of it makes any sense. And so on its serve it costs seventy million dollars and it stars Nicolas Cage in two thousand and seven and Julianne Moore. And I guess Jessica Beale wasn't totally failed as an actress, movie actress at that point. Right. Sorry, Jess. Uh, you're doing great on the center. Um, it, but it's like a trick. It, this movie is a magic trick. It mm-hmm. looks like an actual movie, but in reality, it's just a B movie that you would scroll past on Amazon Prime. Yes. Somehow they played this trick on us. And the trick didn't work. It made about $76 million on that $70 million budget. So wow. No more from, yeah. Um, Tamahori didn't go very far past this. No, uh, and Nick Cage's hair looks really bad in this. It's like they're doing a thing. I know. I've seen this before. They tweak it a little with Photoshop, but I've seen like pictures of Nick Cage with the bird hair before, mm. and you don't have to tweak it much to make it like, what is going on with the hair? Yeah, right? Um, it just looks awful, and, and it's kind of distracting, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> What's distracting is that a 56-year-old man is trying to make it with this, like, 23-year-old. Well, yeah. I know. It, that doesn't sit well with me either. Um, and he... We see him go through all these attempts at, at saying hello to her in the restaurant when she finally does come in. Like, he, it's not, yeah, yeah. he tries all these different ways to um, hit it off with her and only succeeds when her ex comes in and, like... He's like dodging him. Yeah, uh, in uh, played by um, doop 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 boop boop. What's his name? Oh gosh, I don't know. The guy name. from uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, he's the pyramid guy, star that uh, Starbuck falls in love with, and they bring oh. him back to the to the fleet. Okay, I I honestly didn't. He's been in him. some Michael Truco. Okay. Yeah, and I mean he's he's in one scene in this movie yep. too. A lot so. of people are in one scene in this movie. Yeah, I think Jim Beaver might be in two. I think he's in two. Yeah, yeah, um, a scene where it's like, what's going on? You can't go look for a psychic guy because yeah. she's the. I'm trying to think of the, like the comparable Marvel character, but she's the the guy, she's the Henry Guyrich or whatever. She's the yeah. character that's like, you don't understand. I know this sounds crazy. I'm, you know, the person, I'm the Fox Mulder of this thing. If we find this psychic guy, he can help us. And he's like, you're nuts. And then later on, a roadside motel blows up and he's like, all right, go find the psychic guy. Right? (laughs) It's like, what? And then once they do, his, so uh, I know I laughed at the beginning. I made this sound like I really enjoyed it. I don't like talking about it. There's nothing to say about this. No. I'm almost ready to move on. Yeah. yeah Maybe we can I find some you. of the best things to say, but I, it it's fun to watch and just smack your forehead, but 
there's nothing I can bring back to you to tell you to watch this film. I'll say that they took a kind of cool premise that I've seen done in comic books and other things and just waste it. There's nothing... I think... There's nothing good about their premise. Hmm. They don't do anything really cool with it. No. And then they don't... They they don't even understand it because as the movie goes on... Yes. It becomes... So that he becomes Lucy. Like he can do anything with this power that is essentially just him looking two minutes in the future. There's a part where the bad guy has somebody held hostage and he basically charges the guy and the guy like unloads a clip on him and he makes it to the person. And yeah, he my ducks thing is like all the bullets. Yeah. If you could see two minutes in the future, you'd just see yourself riddled with bullets and go, well, don't charge a guy with a gun, I guess. It doesn't mean that I get to do, do he doesn't get to do it again or does he get to do it again and again in his mind i think that that's what we're implying but mm. we didn't want to shoot all that and so instead they just show him sort of neo Ma- or agent matrixing around all the bullets right and that's not really how that would work no and i think it would have made it more interesting if they had done it multiple times like the scene in the diner and i think that they had the opportunity to do stuff like that and just chose not to do it Another thing that happens um, before, right before that sequence, is they're looking for some for um, uh, the person that they're held hostage, and he he's like, okay, you team, you FBI team, you go over here, and I'll search everything else. And he divides himself like multiplicity, right, into all these different versions of himself, and they're just phantoms, but they're actually physically looking at. Places. Which I don't even know how that is how his two minute power yeah. would do that. I don't either. And unless it's really he, frustrating. Unless we get into like <laughs> the next movie we're gonna talk about does try to do things scientifically and has no business doing it, but Mm-mm. at least tries to explore the scientific aspect of what it's like proposing. You could have him say, why not bring in the idea of um chaos theory or probability or something? So he's maybe in his mind, and they didn't know how to show this, but he's saying to himself, what if I what if I go left? Uh, And then I go left again and I go, oh, I blow up because I found a bomb or something. So don't go that way. But it doesn't. The only way it knows to show this is a series of fake outs. So like he'll get shot, but then we'll rewind or just he'll walk into the scene where he's shot. We realize that that was him, I guess, experiencing the future. It's not communicated well visually. Mm -mm. It's not. It's inconsistent in how it is even supposed to work. Yes. The one thing that I did kind of like, which is kind of dumb and Hollywood movie ish is him having this connection to to Jessica Biel's character. Mm-hmm. Liz, I think her name was. Yes. Um, and that for some reason, and we never find out what it is because the movie has no time for it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Let's not ruin the movie, even though That's the end, fine. both of these movies, we'll just ruin it now, have super cop-out endings yep. that I think contributed to their bad Rotten Tomato. Oh, I hated um, the ending of this film. Yeah. But, but anyway... Um, I like the connection to her in that, like, for whatever reason, she, his connection to her exceeds this two minute limit. Right. And so it starts with him being able to see days or years into the future, you know, knowing he'll meet this woman. And then once he sees her, if it's, they make a point in the film that like, he can only see the future that has to do with him. Yes. But I, it's just, it's kind of weird, kind of cheesy thing, but like if they're meant to be together you know, that extends to her. So mm-hmm. when she goes off somewhere, he can kind of see what happens to her or right. like that power also follows her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good idea that is 
exploited in a very disappointing yeah. and really frustrating way. Not executed well. Yeah. Um yeah. And he distracts a group of FBI agents by making them chase him down a mountain in Big Bear and then basically dropping a hotel's worth of bric-a-brac. Yep. <laughs> and and like and logs. <laughs> On them, and tr- and so you've cars. got a bunch of people all diving, diving out of the way of CGI like logs, which then he reaches the bottom of the hill and is surprised by Julianne Moore. And how can he be surprised by Julianne I, Moore? I know, but then has to save her from getting crushed by the log slide that he created. Yep. And then she takes him into custody. I guess running down the hill took more than two minutes. I guess so. But then again, the movie insists on timing out this two-minute interval. When the reality of his power is, it's just two minutes from now. any any particular moment that he's living now. Yes. Yeah. So it's not like I started running down at two minutes, so I wouldn't be able to see at two oh one that Julianne Moore is at the bottom of the hill. No, it's just a second away. You're a second away from seeing Julianne Moore. Right. You would know about that. Well, and just thinking about like you can't fake this funk. Right. I mean the X Men. I know. And just thinking about like where did the cost of this money go? I think this was a huge set piece of the film. This, this but scene. none of it was real. I know very little of it was real. I agree with you, and I, it was not executed well. But I think that was that, that Peter was... Falk money. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Um, but yeah, I mean that's like the biggest scene, more or less, in the film. I think. Um, yeah, uh, just disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, I think you could say parts of it were so bad they were it was good, but I I just by the end I, I was not enjoying it. So yeah, they the, they took the thing of uh, Michael Trico like beating him up or trying to beat him up in the diner, and then sort of extended that later on. He takes out like four special forces guys right. because he knows where they're going to punch or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's like okay, exactly that's fun, but why not do the whole movie that way? Right. There's a thing later on where he escapes from the FBI and they're running to chase him, and they're just literally running down streets in L.A. Mm-hmm. There isn't like a fun Rude Goldberg. Um, Richard Lester kind of thing right. where he's making things happen and the yeah. guy gets the ice cream in the face exactly. and he's dodging pianos that he knows are going to fall. Yeah. It's, they're just chasing him and it's like, it was too lazy to even come up with a thing. And, and they Don't could have come movie. up with something really fun for it. Don't see it. Yeah, I agree This is in you. the 30s on Rotten Tomatoes, a movie that is in the low 40s on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. but I think deserves better, is a movie <laughs> from 2009 called Knowing. Yes. Um, so a, I guess a brief synopsis about what knowing is about. Um, (laughs) good luck. Oh boy. So we start out in the fifties and we're at the school and this one kid has suggested that they do a time capsule. And so every student in this class is doing a drawing, except the one girl who suggested the time capsule is feverishly writing down numbers front and back. Totally normal. Totally fine. Uh, And it seems like she's hearing voices or something like that. Because whenever we focus in on her, we're hearing whispers. And uh, then the day of the dedication where they bury the time capsule and she disappears and they can't find her. And she's hidden herself away somewhere in the school and she's scratched out some numbers on this wooden door and her fingernails are all bloody. And then we fast forward to the future. And they have photoshopped. No, actually. Sorry, continue. Okay. 
Uh, so then they fast forward to the future and we meet Nick Cage and his son. I think his son's name is Caleb. Yes. And I think his name is John. That's what I want to say. Anyways. <laughs> Whoa. Um, what a great name. Yeah. And Nick Cage is a professor, a science professor. He talks largely about the solar system and the stars and that sort of thing. Um, he's an astronomer. He's an astronomer. Yeah, astrophysics. Yes. And somebody else who is in this, who he works with is... is uh, Mendo. Yeah. Ben Mendelsohn, who I was like freaking out because you were just talking about him. And I was like, did you know he was in this movie? Did well, you I was know? talking about him being in a bad Nicolas Cage movie yes. from 2011 called Trespass. They must have liked working together. They must have. Or they're both from Summit Entertainment, another studio trailer that you should start to get worried when you see. Yes. So um, I guess uh, uh, Nick Cage's wife, Caleb's mom, died suddenly like a year previous in some horrible fire. Uh, And we fast forward. uh, It's a brief, right? Yes. Just kidding. Um, So uh, his son, Caleb, goes to the same school as the girl we saw in the beginning. It's 50 years later. They're opening up the time capsule. All the kids get some drawing or what have you. And he gets the numbers. The numbers. And Nick Cage gets mad at him because he brings the numbers home. He's like, it could mean something. And then like Nick Cage like looks it up and and he becomes obsessed with them. And it looks like they are. Uh, dates and he figures out later um, longitude and latitude uh, of where these horrible events have happened in it, the last 50 and it, years. And it all comes down to 9-11. Yes. He sees a string of numbers. Yes. That's like 9-11 and 01 mm-hmm. and then what, what's 2296 mm-hmm. or 29-96. Yes. This is a big Google movie. A lot of things get Googled in this yes. movie because this is in the mid 2000s. And it turns out, oh, that's the date of 9-11. Duh. Right. And I think that's the final count. It depends on if you consider 9-11 syndrome and sicknesses that have to do with 9-11 being the kill count yeah. as well. But that's the number they settled on. So he goes, wait a minute. What is this? And then he goes and he Googles all these other things. And it turns out, yeah. And it's we're at the end of the list like yeah, there, this is like, a sheet of, this is a piece of a4 paper yeah and there front and is back. front and back and we're near the bottom of this thing and yeah there's like three sequences after this and yes. so there's some extra numbers that they can't figure out what it is like like you said that turns out to be latitude and longitude basically this paper can predict or has predicted like these horrible catastrophes that yes. have presumably happened in the last 50 years yes uh, so he goes about trying to figure out when these other events and where they're going to happen. It's like a wigged early edition. Yeah. Remember early edition? Um, I do. <laughs> the I, guy I from don't, uh, I Friday Night Lights gets the paper. Yes. And it says what's going to happen that day and he tries to prevent stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. like a Canadian. It's like a Vancouver quantum leap. Yes. I bet quantum leap was shot in Vancouver. No, no. That was too early. Okay. Doesn't matter. All right. Um, so then he tries to figure out what these other... I was other... thinking about Quantum Leap the other day. Oh, okay. It's nominally... Sorry to interrupt. It's no, nominally it's a sci-fi show, but it basically we tricked like the American public into watching 
a sci-fi show? No, just an anthology show, basically. Yeah. It's it like Love anthology. American Style or something like that. Yeah. Every week, we, we just raid the costume department for more headbands and A-line dresses. Yeah. And now it's 1953 or something. Mm-hmm. And that's just all it is. Yes. And then a hologram that's just a green screen effect, a cup effect, shows up and goes, no, you got to do this. Mm-hmm. And then every week, it's just an anthology show. Yeah. About American life. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just like a show for boomers with a little sci-fi sprinkled on it. Yeah, it is. Continue. Um, I guess uh, to, I don't want to go too much further into it, but I guess I will say uh, Nick Cage tries to prevent these things. Doesn't seem like there's anything he can do to it has prevent Rose Byrne it. even arrived yet? No. Um, Maybe do that. She, she comes like in midway through the movie. And uh, so he tries to find the, the kid, Lucinda, who was the one who wrote down the original numbers. Uh, he finds out from her, her teacher oh, that she died several years ago. So then he tries to track down her ancestors. And that's where Rose Byrne comes Descendants. in. Um, it's Rose Byrne is her daughter, Diana, and she has a daughter, Abigail, and she's divorced from her husband. Uh, he, f- They follow her one day to like Brief. the science museum. And then like... He's like, what, did your mother have a gift? And we didn't meet by coincidence and all this stuff. I need you to listen to me. Yeah. Both movies feature Nicolas Cage approaching a woman, 25 years, his junior. Yes. uh, I need you to listen to me. And I need you to listen to me. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, and the movie kind of And they cast, yes, a uh, young actress um, named Laura Robinson, who's still doing stuff now. Uh, who was like, they almost cast her, or maybe they photoshopped her or her face or whatever, not photoshopped, but who's like a good, that's a good Rose Byrne. Yeah. She plays the um, girl in the beginning. She plays the girl, the daughter at the end. Oh, so I she didn't realize she played the daughter her, at the, the end. Oh, okay. But huh. clearly cast to match Rose Byrne facially, which yes. they don't usually bother with. See the kid that plays Nicolas Cage's son. Right. Uh, but anyway, that was good. Yeah. Um, and then hijinks ensue. Yes. And basically, um, watch out. Because the last date is everybody. Yeah, ee, everyone else. <laughs> Just so dumb. <laughs> Thank you, ancient prophecy, for being so colloquial. Yeah, you burnt. <laughs> uh, kiss your ass goodbye is the last sequence of numbers. Yes. Uh, this is directed by Alex Proyas. Mm-hmm. Talked about him on the show. Not enough. I Alex Proyas don't care. Alex Proyas. Don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Alex Proyas is the honey badger of making movies. I think you're right. You got to start by making The Crow. Mm-hmm. Which was, um, you know, he directed, was well received in some angles. Of course, there's tragedy connected to that film. Yes. He followed that up with Dark City, which to this day uh, remains a great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should see Dark City. We haven't seen it or talked about it on the show. We should. Yeah. He directed, produced, and wrote it. And that's about it. It's yeah. all downhill from there. Okay. Uh, he did iRobot. Mm. Uh, which was an ill-conceived project yes. starring Will Smith, as many of his films are. This was his follow-up to iRobot. And after that, he did Gods of Egypt. And we definitely have to watch Gods of Egypt yeah. on this show. It is a trash fire, but it looks like a fun trash fire. <laughs> and that's a pretty much it. And he's somebody who is... Um, he is Egyptian, I believe. Okay. Um, so, and then he also went to film school in Australia. Interesting. So that explains why three quarters of the cast of this film is Australian. Mm. Rose Byrne, the woman that plays the sister of Nick Cage's character, yes. and uh, Ben Mendelsohn. It's a bunch of people, a bunch of Australian people trying to act like Americans. Americans, yes. And doing a pretty good job. Mm. Um, 
And so, yeah, he just likes these dark themes. He likes religious themes. Mm. For a while, he tried to develop Paradise Lost into a film. Oh, really? With Bradley Cooper. This is after wow. Scott Derrickson, director of Doctor Strange and Sinister, had sort of dropped the project. Mm. I'd always thought this was, when I read Paradise Lost in college, I was like, this is a movie. And as Pat Oswalt pointed out, this is a crazy Christian country. Let's make a CGI Paradise Lost movie. Sure. Right? Yeah. We'll make a billion bucks. Why hasn't this happened yet? Because <laughs> it's hard to crack and it would be really expensive. I but see. this is, I think, a lot of ideas that he had for that got folded into this. Oh, I could see that. Sure. This movie has a strange, it rides a strange line of um, religiosity. Y- yeah. And I think I understand what you're saying. And scientificness. Yes. It features a. And that all, none of this is on the screen. It's all on the page. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Nick Cage plays an MIT astrophysicist yes. whose father was a uh, minister. Pastor. A p- pastor, yeah. Protestant pastor. Yeah. And the and the movie is concerned with the end of the world. Yes. Uh, th- he doesn't like, if he really wanted to hit it, he would find that the numbers correspond to pages of the Bible or something like that. Yeah, we yeah. We don't go with that. No. But we do go with things like them um, f- front front paging uh, like uh, uh, Elizabethan art having to do with um, Ezekiel's revelation about the end of the world and mm-hmm. like apocalyptic sort of uh, imagery um, from antiquity and, and stuff like that. Sure. But it really boils down to him and Mendo just going... Oh boy, is this real? I don't know. Right. And then that's pretty much the science side of it. Uh, <laughs> I yep. love the fact that this is another movie that just sheds characters as we go. The sister seems like she's going to be a thing, disappears. Yep. Mendo disappears, yes, literally to appear in one shot, like at the at end the of the very film. End. Because we went, oh yeah, that's right. That guy's in the movie. Yeah. Comforting his wife. <sighs> yeah. Um, again, this is a film. Oh, Liam Hensworth is in this for one scene. What? Yep. I did not recognize him. He's the dude bro. First of all, this MIT class is like, it's a yeah. uh, cosmology slash modeling class because everybody's yeah. way too hot to be engineering students. But he's the one dude bro that he throws the sun to when they're oh, talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did not recognize him. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. A pre-Miley Cyrus, Liam Hem- Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this is another movie that is fun to watch. Not so fun to talk about. <laughs> Um, I think this one was way more fun to watch than than next. Oh, I liked this film. Yeah. And it is very close. It's a little bit higher uh, on the scale mm-hmm. of Rotten Tomatoes than next is, but much better made. Mm-hmm. I think it is ultimately flawed. Yes. And as we began to watch it, I think I turned to you and said, this movie is going to have an FU ending. Yep. That's the only way I can explain why watching Rose Byrne and Nick Cage run around and be scared could get such a bad you think this would be like an okay rating like a 50 percent and it's got a pretty bad rating and i think it's because it's going to leave us really unsatisfied yeah guess what it does Mm -hmm. i want to talk about i mentioned 9-11 before and then i backed off because now i want to talk about it okay it's funny to see how well quasi-religious but also like terrorist films it's fu- it's fun to watch us process 9/11 poorly on cinema, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Two films that feature um, terrorist or sort of end of the world scenarios. This movie was more successful. It cost fifty million dollars less than Next somehow. Yeah, and made 
almost 200 million. So it was okay. technically a success. Okay. But very poorly reviewed and not a lot of repeat. <laughs> I mean, you see it on yeah. streaming services and sure. that's about it. But it's just fun to watch us try to process 9-11. And this movie features, it's not even graphic in terms of blood, but just like haunting, affecting. This is a movie about public accidents and tragedies yes. and events. Mm-hmm. And the movie isn't just like, wow, a bunch of people died. Like you see all those people die. Yeah. So if a subway derails and kills and, and goes into a platform, mm-hmm. you don't just see a bunch of dust and that's it. Like they lovingly CGI rendered many people going under the wheels of a subway car. And yes. you're like, oh my God. It's a little much, honestly. Yeah. It, it's, um, uh, what did you call it? Did you call it? Disaster porn. Disaster porn. Yeah. And, the kind of disaster porn that is. I, we, we almost watched left behind as a trifecta mm. uh, another nick cage movie yes and i bet if you watch left behind which i haven't seen not the kirk cameron one the nick cage one i bet it's similar i mm-hmm. bet there's a lot of like graphic plane crashes um raptured people cars plowing into farmers markets and stuff yeah. like that i bet it's very similar um i, I bet you're right in and- and and I think that's part of what makes this movie a little disturbing. Honestly, it, it's it's yeah. unsettling. The screenwriter of this, or at least the initial screenwriter, was a novelist named Ryan Douglas Pearson, who okay. writes sort of um, thrillery and science fictiony type books. He is uh, known for having written a book named Simple Simon, which was itself adapted into a film hmm. uh, the same year, 1998, called Mercury Rising, which I've seen and I can remember nothing about it. This oh, is how wow. unremarkable it is. Mm-hmm. But it is a movie about a small boy who is a genius finding a series of numbers that allows him to. Yeah, the guy's got a. Wow. He's got a lean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sounds very similar to this. Yes, it so, does. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, Dan? Yes. The caves won't save us. I know. He screams that. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were trying to, as, as we started up this movie, we were like, what's the, what's the, like, the signature Nick Cage line? Yes. And it's now become, the answer is not the bees. Right. But like before not the bees, did he have one? And yeah. we were thinking... It's hard to come up with one because there are so many. Yeah. Every line in Vampire's Kiss is a t-shirt line. Sure. Yeah. But I, The Caves Won't Save Us would be my pick from this film. <laughs> I know. It's, he's like at his Nick Cage raging, you know, the highest point of rage. And it's like, yeah. wow. Um, it seemingly comes out of nowhere. I mean, it's it's in a, in a very intense moment in the plot. <laughs> yes. But, but it's like. Whoa! I didn't know you were capable of screaming this much. Yeah, if you're a music musician, if you're a magician who also has psychic powers, and maybe <clears throat> you're also just doing this for a paycheck, you're just like, let me let me handle this. Yeah. But if you're freak out Cage, who's not getting like the Mandy go ahead, then your response is, things are like kind of tense, and this is important, and then it's like, yes. oh, no, what about this? <laughs> oh my god, how to get burned? How to get burned? <laughs> So you get a little bit of that, but not enough. Rose Byrne plays another thankless role who's yeah. just there to do nothing. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's a fun movie to make fun of. Yeah. I'll give you that. I like when they go to um, her dead psycho mother's trailer or whatever. Yes. And 
and they go into like, you know, of course she's got a room with a bunch of like photographs and newspaper clippings on the wall. And you're like, oh, she's got a psycho room. Yes. Uh, you had to have that. Well, because it just reminds me of like, you know, all of those horror films like that were especially prevalent uh, 70s, even into early 90s, where, where you had like, a, it seemed like it the was almost always. The serial killer. Right. Or the, or the person who's or the getting priest. the apocalyptic visions. Yes. Which is kind of what we're dealing with here. Yes. Uh, without really spoiling the conceit of the film, which, boy, I kind of want to, but I'm not going to. No. I would fast forward. Want to use your powers to see what's next? Yeah. I would actually recommend watching both of these films. One is bad, but short and digestible. Mm -hmm. And one deals with ideas that I think at some point the process broke down and the chocolate, instead of like putting the chocolate and peanut butter into a delicious treat, Mm -hmm. you sat on it and it's all over your pants now. Yeah. And it looks like you pooped yourself. Yeah. But it's still, if you took your finger and you wiped it off oh, it would taste delicious when you put it in your mouth oh, that's what i think wow that's super gross there's some weird references in this movie mm-hmm. two very specific things his son likes tiger shows and i don't know what that has to do if they were lions it might be re- uh, revelations I apocalyptic think but we're it's just not supposed to get that he is a smart kid who likes science oh yeah no for sure at one point he's talking about like his dad has kind of become overprotective because of the death of the mother which we should say the tragedy she died in is on this piece of paper yes and so the very abbreviated and also like told and not showed arc for nick cage is as somebody who deals with probabilities and deals with math in his job he feels He's distraught because he feels like the universe is random. There's the religious side that I think is probably in the script but was de-emphasized in the film because we're mm-hmm. trying to sell this to a not post-9-11 searching for answers in faith country. But he is disillusioned from religion because of his father's stern upbringing. Yes. And so he sees the world as he's got like the math and science is the answer. There's a discussion between him and his uh, kid at the beginning of the film that is actually pretty well done and underplayed where the kid wants to believe that he'll see his mom again in heaven, but Nick Cage doesn't believe in heaven and doesn't want his kid to because he's a science guy, but he makes this concession sort of like telling your kid Santa Claus is real. He's like, I'm sure we'll, we'll see her, you know, you believe whatever you want. Yeah. Don't tell a seven year old, believe whatever you want. Do you know what I mean? That's not going to help the seven year old. He doesn't get it no matter how smart he is. Right. But so he feels like the universe is meaningless. And then he realizes that his wife's death was predicted in this thing. And if only he had gotten it sooner. And how, it's it's a time capsule and he didn't know about it. But, right. but he feels like he's already behind. And now that kind of explains why he is so the game will save us. Like he's yeah. so into this is that he's trying to prevent more tragedy. All that reads like a math problem. But like a math problem, it doesn't make a great scripted drama yeah it doesn't and then there's some concepts that we won't ruin here that are that this is the chocolate and peanut butter i'm talking about Mm -hmm. but i would absolutely say see it still yeah i thought it was entertaining so um yeah there's the kid says at one point well you won't let me do this you won't let me watch this thing and you won't let me play stalker i know and i was like whoa wait very specific why are you yeah stalker of course uh is a video game based on a um, short story or, yeah. or a novel, uh, a Russian science fiction novel that yeah. was also adapted into the 
movie by Tarkovsky. Yes. What is that reference other than just Alex Prius or maybe the screenwriter going like, hey, I'm cool. I mean, is this another that kid should not play stalker? That's not for no. I mean, is that another kind of like end of the world sort Mm. of thing? Yep. Yes and no. Yes and no. And we said we weren't going to ruin anything. No. But if you want, if you know what stalker is about, that might give you an idea about what's kind of going on here. Mm -hmm. And when I also turned to you five minutes in and told you what the end of the movie was going to be, yeah, because I have Nicholas Cage movie powers. Yes. And we got to the end, and you just pointed at me, and you were like, "Yep." And I was like, "I know." That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep, pretty much. So, I mean, entertaining, but somewhat predictable. So, well, I want a little. Predictable means everybody can guess what it is. Well, I guess I want credit. Okay, all right, fair. Could Nicolas Cage have seen that there'd be so many payphones in the future? <laughs> this is a payphone movie. I know. I know it's two adults who I guess were past or were before the threshold of. Just kids have cell phones, mm-hmm. have iPhones. But yeah, there, a lot of people call each other on pay phones because they don't have phones on them, mm-hmm. which is like, that, that's science fiction. Why don't you have a phone on you? Yeah. So. <laughs> would you recommend them? Um, I would uh, recommend knowing, um, I guess tangentially recommend next, but I feel like you could kind of skip it too. If you like Final Destination. Yeah. You might like this movie. Yeah, right. It's got, there's a Final Destination-esque Mm-hmm. kind of thing yes uh, they bring the idea of yeah there's just so many ideas that could have been expanded upon and yet this yeah. movie is still two hours somehow yeah but once they figure out some of the numbers are coordinates isn't it stressing that many of the coordinates take place within this within driving distance yes I think <laughs> wouldn't you be worried that <laughs> like wow these are all i can get to all these places why in a couple is this hours. localized yeah. yeah the last one was in like jakarta right <laughs> I know. It, it, it's a little frustrating, honestly. I needed Encarta to look up Jakarta. <laughs> it's not that far back. <laughs> what was the Carmen Sandiego thing that we saw? Oh, there's a Netflix series. Yes. That's Carmen Sandiego. Yes. And uh, it's a cartoon, and she's going to a school to learn how to be a Is it her, or is it... Yeah, I guess it's it's a prequel, huh? Yeah. I thought it was like somebody who... One of the agents of... I can't remember, acapella. Right. That are supposed to find her, but... And it's just like this whole, you know, insurance girl (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, aren't you going to learn what the capital of Columbia is? Wasn't right. that what Carmen Sandiego was about? It's about geography. That and, yeah. Uh, yeah, unaccompanied singing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm not really sure why they went that route with Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. But... I'm not going to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's talk really fast. This will just be our outro, I guess, because we've been going along. Uh, we'll talk really fast about the Sequart documentary yes. that we promised. Uh, Chris Claremont's X-Men. Yes. What would you think about that? Um, I thought really well done um yeah did you yeah i did i had problems with it oh did you well we'll talk about it okay um well i think that they covered his run on x-men really well i mean he was on the book for 17 years he didn't start it but he made a lot of the storylines that people remember and for to this day and uh he developed the characters like a different direction than maybe they were originally going and um I think he helped create some of the characters too. And yeah. 
Um, I, I think he just was very, uh, w- when we think of X-Men, I, I think of Chris Claremont, you know? Yeah, it's specifically about his time on the book uh, from like 75 to like 92 or 3 mm-hmm. and him taking something that was already part of a successful company and building out his own particular universe. So it's about yes. the birth, the continuance, and really the death of that specific era, the specific corner of the Marvel Universe, which of course, and the movie addresses this, went on to create multi-billion dollar earning uh, storylines and films yeah. uh, based on the things that he created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that um, uh, it was, it was. I think it was kind of rare for a creator to be on a book that long, and and still oh, yeah. to this day, it doesn't. Well, I mean, you know, Eric Larson is still doing Savage Dragon because he owns it, sure, uh, at Image. Um, but yeah, there's very few. Uh, you can count on one hand like the amount of people who have got to do something that long, either continuously, which he did, or in like bursts. I'm yes. sure Keith Giffen has probably racked up 15 years of Legion at this point. Sure, yeah, which is another thing that he helped create didn't he help create legion no i'm talking about the legion of superheroes oh yeah. okay no okay. no yeah he cl- he created legion the, okay. the character okay gotcha um and we've talked about legion the tv show which i think took the comics and did something really great with it yeah i don't know when they commissioned and like put this thing together but it i think maybe where it's maybe i'm in my opinion it's underplaying i think they underplayed the legion side of it yeah but i guess when you look at legion versus Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, one is bigger than the other. Yeah, exactly. But one has more, I think, to do with his his hands are on one more than the other. Yeah. Sure, he wrote all the great (laughs) Wolverine stories of like the classic Wolverine period, Mm -hmm. but like Legion's really his baby. Yeah. But then again, they also used the um, Cy Spurrier. I can't remember who did the uh, Legion solo series. A lot of that's in the TV show too. Sure. Um, so what were some issues that you had with the documentary? The lack of production values. Oh, yeah. Um, Sequart, who I don't know a lot about them, but I think that they are... Um, boop, 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 boop. I think they're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. They're sort of like a comics-adjacent organization. Sure. And the comics commentary is a lot of their thing. They literal commentary. They release... Um, self-published books that are like commentaries on Watchmen, commentaries on things like that. They've produced a couple of these documentaries yes. with um, respect docu- documentaries or whatever, respect films. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the Warren Ellis one, I think, on the yes. show. We talked about the um, Grant Morrison one on the show. The yes. Image Revolution was them. Mm-hmm. But the Image Revolution, there's a lot of footage in that doc. There's a lot of like um, production value. Mm-hmm. And this is, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's not. Yeah. It's a very basic titling. <laughs> this is no graphics or anything. They hired a couple fetish models to like I know. wear X-Men costumes I know. and stand there while a fog machine blows on them. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the heart of the doc is just talking to the man. Yeah. And not only the man, but talking to, when you think about it, it's brought to you by Claremont, but it's brought to you by two women who are just as important as Chris Claremont, yeah. which is Louise Simonson. And and Nascenti, yes, uh, his editors, which uh, I think is really cool, who too. are writers and creators in their own right. Yes. and so yeah, like the best parts of the doc are just the three of them on a couch, mm-hmm. just shooting the shit about their time, 
at Marvel and yeah. Duck and Jim Shooter and all the, all the great bullpen stories yeah. are, are the best part. And yeah, I mean, he's definitely like the creative drive behind it. But, you know, people don't realize how important women were in bringing all the Marvel characters and stories to you. So mm-hmm. getting that out of the film, I think, is probably the best part. But it's just that. Yeah. You know, they talked to one or two other. They talked to Sean Howe because, uh, of course, they do. But they always do these. You always know you're outside of San Diego Comic-Con when you see the um, the one-on-ones under the palm trees or oh, the ficuses sure. or whatever. I know what you're you know, with, the, with the convention center in the background. And you could have grabbed anybody coming out of that convention center. They talked to Jason Aaron. Yeah. Great. Because he was writing X-Men for a while. Yeah. Uh, but you could l- talk to literally anybody. You could go anywhere on the floor on a, for a San Diego Comic-Con weekend and literally anybody would have a story about their love of X-Men. Where were, right. where were um, Jay and Miles? Sure. <laughs> I bet they were should have been in this. Yeah. And it's only like 77 minutes long or something like that. Mm-hmm. So for, I think they, uh, the bones of it are there, but you could have taken this and given it to, I don't know, Errol Morris or somebody like that and made like a two-hour doc out of this. No problem. Yeah. Um. In I mean, I don't know if this goes back to the production value or not, but like I felt like some of the places where they recorded, I don't think that the lighting was as great or there was oh, like, you know, yeah. background noise, that yeah. sort of thing. So um, I think they could have done a better job at doing that consistently across the board, too. Yeah. So. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it. I think it's a pretty good picture of the man in his own mm-hmm. words. Um, we, uh, I think, well, I mean, we talked to him at, at the con that one time. Yeah, um, um, and that was a lot of fun. That's probably one of my favorite memories of at a con at all, at, like, ever. Yeah. Was it, getting a chance to talk to him. And chatting to him or, like, seeing him in a, you never see, <laughs> I bet there's a, He's he seems like he's a very reserved person. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem like he's very um, outgoing socially. I think he's got a switch. I think he's got a type A type B switch. And I think with with yeah. fans and with like documentarians, he's a type B. But you, we hear about nobody would have taped these, but we hear about these screaming matches with Shooter over like story direction and yep. stuff like that. And I'd love to somehow get a look. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. In uh, Marvel offices uh, mm-hmm. in 1982, you know, when they're planning the the Dark Phoenix, the death of Jean Grey or something like right. that. And just see uh, him going off and like defending. Because they talk about how he had this thing and he held on to it for 17 years. But halfway through that time, they were already trying to take it away from him. Yeah. They were trying to do other things. They said, look, man, people love the X-Men. Because of your writing, right? But because you just work for us, we're not going to acknowledge that, and we're going to create a new book. We're going to create the New Mutants, Wolverine, all these other side books, yeah. X Factor, yeah. Without you, and it must have taken some Type A screaming to become the main writer on all of those books. I know, which he did. So now he is lit- now it's no big deal. Brian Bendis writes eighteen books. And maybe we can blame Chris Claremont for that. But yeah. he was like overseeing this growing wing. Uh, and at this time, I don't know what Gilgamesh or Tigra was doing over in like the Avengers. Like, right. you know, it's, it's good stuff, bad stuff. But the Avengers were not the X-Men. That's what everybody wanted to read. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all down to him. Yeah, it is. And um, I, I think it's interesting, too, like they did interview Jim Shooter and he does talk about the screaming matches, but um, 
you know, Chris is, I think, um, it's he maybe mentions it too, but we don't really go into it a whole lot. Yeah, Shooter's a interesting figure. Yeah. I wonder if there's a definitive biography of him. Yeah, like I wonder that. too. Um, it was interesting to hear that he started writing comics and he was like 14. Yeah, yeah. That was, which is crazy. That's, that's the biography I want right? to read. Yeah. yeah. When he's talking to, was it like, I think it was DC, right? He's talking yeah. to some guy uh, like in New York and he's like, so when can we have you come out? And he's like, I'm 13. I know. <laughs> he's like, put your mother on the phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, great uh, story. Uh, free on Amazon. Definitely yes. check it out. Uh, I 100% if you're recommend in that sort it of thing. as well. Yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, we did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. If we ever get to watch his mark, his dark materials, we're just doing that. Oh, okay. A little spattering of news. Sure. And then just do his dark materials. first couple episodes of his dark materials. Okay. Uh, you can talk about uh, reading your, the book. your progress reading the book. Yes. I can talk about my. See, this is how they balloon into two hour. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Talk about. Uh, Phil Pullman and all the trouble he got in writing these books. Okay. That sounds and good to me. No, it's now it's three hours. Uh, and have a Phil Pullman on the show <laughs> joining us from Bristol or wherever he's from. Right, right. Probably from Oxford. Yeah. Right? Well. So the book said. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, that's what we'll do there. <laughs> uh, if you want to find us on the internet, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and social medias at Just Enough Trope. Also, join us on our Discord. If you yes. watch any of these films... If you know what's coming next, if you got any more numbers, <laughs> let us know through the link in the show notes for this show. You can join us on our Discord and talk about all the good things, having an old nerd jamboree mm-hmm. down on the Discord farm. And also find us on your listening platform of choice, be it Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever you listen to. Subscribe to us. It's the best way to get the show. You don't have to have any powers to know when it comes out. Right. It's just going to come out. Yeah, exactly. Right then. Yeah. And then also uh, give us a review, if you would, because we appreciate hearing from the fans and how you think that we're doing. And give us a rating. Probably the most important thing. The computer, how it knows Mm -hmm. its power is counting stars or counting ratings. And that's how (laughs) it knows that we're doing a good job. It moves us up. So give us five just conspicuous glasses of orange juice. Let's do... (laughs) I need a lot of orange juice glass business in this film. Okay. We got Jessica Biel over here. Yeah. She's an empty slate. We don't know what's going on in that mind. Uh, And we've got Julianne Moore's pissed off because she's in this movie. So what if Nick Cage just does some business with a glass of orange juice? I know. Maybe he's going to drink it. Maybe not. Uh Uh-huh. He's going to walk around for a while. Yep. (laughs) That's what we need to do. A lot focused on this. Or perhaps not. Yeah. Just give us five stars. We'd appreciate it. We'll be back in the future to talk about, I don't know. Something else. You tell me. I I can't see two minutes in the future. There are a hundred outcomes and they're all bad. (laughs) Uh, But hopefully not. Hopefully we'll find the right one to get through. And we'll be back on a future show. So until then, we're signing off. I'm your host, Caliban. I'm your co-host, Mikan Hana. Keep the geek buyers burning. Bye.